Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the first class edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. Today is February 20th, and with me today are columnist Paula Simons. Hello. Graham Thompson. Hello. And provincial affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. This week, we are going to revisit the travel expenses issue, which continues to cause all kinds of problems for Premier Alison Redford and the Progressive Conservative Caucus in all kinds of ways, including maybe cracks in party unity, maybe not, we'll talk about it. And the expenses issue has evolved further with the $9,000 in receipts for Edmonton Hotel stays by the Premier's executive assistant, fueling the latest set of headlines. And finally, we'll end with good stuff from the gallery, which includes a listener recommendation. Hooray! We'll start with the issue that no one among the PC party is likely hooraying about, and that is the ongoing fuss about the Premier South Africa trip to Nelson Mandela's funeral. Just in case anyone is tuning into Alberta politics for the first time in 2014, this is a controversy that began when it was revealed in January that the trip carried a $45,000 price tag. Now, those expenses included flights on the province's plane for the Premier, her return flight from South Africa, and her executive assistance cost to South Africa. But when stacked up against the extremely frugal bill of uh, Nova Scotia Premier Stephen McNeil, which was $946.44 that he accumulated on the same trip, albeit taking the plane with the Prime Minister, it it looked bad. And the Premiers acknowledged that and apologized. So can somebody recap why this expense continues to haunt her this week? Well, two things are going on. One is we've been hearing for some time that this issue has been giving a headache to the MLAs. The government MLAs have been hearing about it on the doorstep. They go for a coffee. People buttonhole them. They're at the Safeway. They get questioned about it. So it's an ongoing issue, but no one will really talk about it publicly from the, the caucus. Until this week, we had uh, Steve Young talk to, to Don Braid, our uh, columnist at the Herald, and uh, he was... Uh, Young was saying that, um, look, this money that was spent was too much money. It, it was, this is not... Uh, the values of Albertans. He wasn't overtly critical. He did say if he um, he was asked, do you like her? He said, that's not really the issue here. The issue is the money spent. Um, but that raised it again as an issue, that we're actually hearing some of the MLAs now speak out about the kind of flack they're getting from their constituents. So it was semi-critical of the, of the Premier. He didn't say anything more than she has said. He, he didn't make a crack about uh, he's more likely to go for a beer with a Wild Rose MLA than he is with the Premier. A very specific Wild Rose MLA, right? right. Ian Donovan, right? Who's generally well-liked among right. both sides of the both aisle. Sides. Yes, I think it's, it's more, uh, that to me is more uh, on the lines of uh, the Premier is uh, you know, on a pedestal, like she's high and mighty flying jets, and he would be more likely to be in the trenches with a backbench MLA from across the floor than actually with the Premier. So, <clears throat> but of course, we're looking at this thing, is there something else going on here in caucus? Is this is a way for caucuses to start splitting up over this issue. I don't think so. Um, but when Young made the comments, um, the Premier's office was very quick to say, look, what he is saying is all only what she's been saying for some time now, that it was too much money, $45,000 will never happen again. It was not a good use of taxpayers' dollars. So he wasn't really that far offside uh, heading into caucus. <laughs> well, I mean, so what What was the sense you got this morning at caucus, Marion? Because you were at Government House, right, as they were going in. And Fairly or not, this had been set up on it by media outlets as you know going to be a really fracas. Is that the, is that the right word? Fracas, fracas, fra- fraught, fraught. Thank you. Fracas in the caucus. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm trying to find a rhyme and unsuccessful, but Graham did it for me. This was set up as it was going to be like a showdown. And we were, for some reason, talking about Steve Young even potentially being thrown out of caucus about this. Can you tell us why we were talking about that and whether that was ever, whether that was something that was on the lips of MLAs as they went in? Quickly, there wasn't much on the lips of MLAs <laughs> as they went in this morning. I was uh, standing there shivering with a bunch of other media uh, who had arrived to try and get politicians as they walked in to get their comments on Steve Young's comments. But uh, not a lot of them had much to say except for, you know, things like Steve's a great guy and Steve always speaks his mind. I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people started uh, talking about, you know, is this is this contributing to any sort of discord in, in caucus? Because we don't hear people talking about stuff like this very often you know as Graham said this was the first time a PCMLA had come up and said something about it and even if it wasn't very um, far off I guess the message that the premier's office had set out we hadn't heard anyone else you know say yeah this I, I, I don't agree with this or this doesn't represent Alberta values so I thought that was pretty interesting the premier when she arrived this morning uh, ended up doing a bit of an impromptu scrum and uh, basically said that she thinks that Steve Young's comments were valid and she went on to say that she welcomes differing opinions in her caucus and that everyone is able to express their views and she respects everyone's opinion it was interesting because of course before and after she spoke we still couldn't get anyone to talk to us about what they thought about that so that I thought was an interesting sort of uh, juxtaposition but um, she did sort of come out and say well you know uh, his comments are are valid so I see Redford is playing this very very cleverly but come on (coughs) this is Alberta so there's one piece of this that's being played cleverly yeah okay I mean (laughs) the the damage control she's doing I think we have to remember who Steve Young is he's the former caucus whip he knows better than anyone what party unity is supposed to look like. He used to be the guy in charge of enforcing it. We also have to remember that Steve Young is that very dangerous thing for any politician, the backbencher who has nothing to lose. Most backbenchers play nicely with the other children because they have some hope, fragile or otherwise, that someday that they're going to be promoted. Steve Young knows that's not going to happen to him. He was the guy who was supposed to get a big promotion to cabinet uh, and then had his cabinet position rescinded before he was even sworn in. Uh, Redford, this is not the first time she's thrown him under the bus. And the trouble with being, you know, the sort of person who throws someone under the bus is that, you know, he's clinging to the undercarriage and kicking from underneath. There is no downside for him to being the outlier. And given that he won a swing riding, he's one of those people, he's the uh, MLA for Edmonton Riverview, Kevin Taft's old liberal riding. It is not a safe seat. If he doesn't speak up now, he has no chance, perhaps, of even retaining the nomination, never mind retaining the seat. So I think, although Redford is doing a very lovely, very crafty job of damage control afterwards, I don't think that uh, she was very happy. I mean, when someone says, do you like the leader of your party? The correct answer is, well, she isn't someone with whom I'd go for a beer. I'd rather go for a beer with the other guy. That is the wrong answer. Who would you go for a beer with? If you could go out with any of the MLAs, if you could just pick one, who would it be? Personally, I'm going to say Carrie Toll because I think she'd be a lot of fun. Second, I think she'd have my back if I got in a fight at the bar. (laughs) 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 She just seems to me like that kind of girl. So yeah, Carrie being the uh, the Wild Rose uh, human services critic. All right, I've I've answered honestly. Graham, who's your who's your beer friend? You know what I'd like to? I would sit down with um, Danielle Smith. Okay. Because even though she's opposition leader in a sense that they're more approachable than the government. when I talk to her, it's usually very formalized, and I can I, you know, she sees me as probably an enemy because I'm, I'm, I go after her on certain issues like climate change. 
I wouldn't mind sitting down with her, just uh, you know, just one on one with a beer and uh, t- turn the tape recorder and the notepad off to see what she's like, because they really are trying to change you know, their image in the last year. And Paula's been watching us really c- carefully as well as to are they really who they say they now are? I'm really curious about that. Are they really changing as a party and as as people in that party? Who's your beer companion, Paula? I don't drink beer, but I did this summer (laughs) stand next to Thomas Lukasik while he drank de-alcoholized beer at the Heritage (laughs) Festival where we were both judging the food pavilions together, and then we ate raw pickled herring together. So, you know, actually, I mean, Thomas Lukasik... And so you'd repeat the experience. Thomas Lukasik, uh, for whom I have been extremely critical on many fronts... never seems to carry a grudge and he and I bump into each other on social occasions so sure I wouldn't you know I would stand next to Thomas Lukasik while he drank de-alcoholized beer that's what I would say okay Mariam who's your uh, beer companion oh really putting me on the spot here um you know I think it would be Lori Blakeman she yeah she's really interested I'm really interested in procedure parliamentary procedure house procedure that kind of stuff and I know she's really a wealth of information when it comes to that sort of thing so I'd probably pick her brain on that Sorry, NDP. We're sure you're fun to have beer with, too, but we seem to have, have left you off the table there. But, okay. so I Brian Mason would be a fun guy to have yeah. a beer with if I drank a beer. So now that we've got the important beer question out, I will not kick any of you out of the studio for your answer. This South Africa flight will not go away, or will this be the end of it? Is this the last time we will have to talk about this, not have to, oh, no. $45,000 expense? Okay, so why won't it go away? Uh, well, two things, really. First of all, the way the government's handled it, or mishandled this, you know, when she first, she's been trying, this is the premier trying to explain it. At first, um, she explained it was a $10,000 fare, that's just what the fares cost. And then later on, she was saying, well, look, I don't book the fares, I don't book the flights, my office did it. So she's blaming somebody else. It wasn't until this issue kept on percolating. She came out and said, well, I, I, mistakes were made. That was the actual quote of yeah. mistakes were made. <laughs> ridiculous I know. It's, it's like a cliche. It's like yeah. it, it, it's, it's the most Weasley politician phrase. Mistakes, mistakes were made. made. By whom? <laughs> By the mistake fairies? Yeah. And so, this, so, again, there's that. So this has been dragging up because the way they've been handling it. And her apology is not really an apology. Um, there's that. Plus, uh, the money, the amount of money. We've discussed this before. People have a hard time trying to imagine a $40 billion budget. That's what we have that here in Alberta, or even a billion-dollar health transfer. They have no problem understanding $45,000. That's what many people here in the province make per year. So if you're spending someone's annual salary on a trip to South Africa, people think that's absolutely outrageous, and that's another reason why it's resonating. So there's two things. The actual the, the, the amount of money involved... Plus the fact the government's handled this so badly in terms of getting it off the um, the table, it's still there. Okay, so this isn't the only expense that is got people talking right now. Uh, Miriam, can you tell us about the cost of exec- of the premier's executive assistant Brad Stables' Edmonton hotel costs and and why we were writing about them this week? Well, it sort of follows on the $45,000 South Africa trip because, of course, $20,000 of that bill was to fly Brad uh, Stables round trip to South Africa and back, right? So uh, that's nearly half of that bill was purely for him to go to South Africa to, to, to you know, be by, by, uh, by the Premier's side. And, and so now we found out that 
he's also um, billing the taxpayer for stays at Edmonton's arguably most luxurious hotel, right? Um, and it what came into the tune of about nine thousand, actually just over nine thousand dollars for forty three nights. And that was in twenty thirteen. Yeah, uh, it actually goes uh, between April and December, so we don't actually have the full tally up until this month. There could be more, and of course, those receipts wouldn't be out yet. But um, you know, I think a lot of people. Um, again look at that because of the the amount of money that it is nine thousand dollars for hotel room stays is that the most appropriate way to be spending that kind of money okay and, and this really is a question of optics because you know Miriam worked out the average it's about 200 215 dollars a night so you know to stay at a nice downtown hotel frankly to stay at any alberta hotel i mean you would pay more than that to stay at a motel in fort mcmurray to, it's not that it's not the 200 dollars a night it's not even the nine thousand dollars it's the idea that her assistant is living at the Hotel McDonald. I mean, there are a lot of other ways that might not even save the province that much money, but that would be more palatable for voters. Because what they see is the premier's assistant living in what, you know, passes in Edmonton for the, you know, the chateau on the hill. It, it's 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 the hotel where celebrities stay, where they have the royal suite. And even if he's not staying in the royal suite, it carries with it that sense of entitlement. And it does no good for Redford, who is already fighting the image that she's aloof and elitist. If he were staying, you know, Graham was saying before we started the tape rolling, if he'd stayed at the Holiday Inn and paid $175 a night, it might not have saved Albertans a whole lot of money. But if he'd stayed at the Holiday Inn or, you know, a regular kind of hotel that a regular business traveler might use, it, the optics would just be vastly, vastly better. Because, I mean, surely we don't expect him to sleep on a cot in the legislature when he's up in town, right? I mean, he's based in Calgary, where she spends a lot of her time because that's where her home is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I might not like that as an Edmontonian. I might wish my premier was an Edmontonian, but that's not how it is. So I, I think Paulus nailed it on this. <clears throat> it's the optics of staying in the most fancy hotel. The government yesterday was, was trying to rationalize it by saying, look, uh, we have a corporate right with the Fairmont, <laughs> so we're saving <laughs> money that way. What the heck? Again, this is the government that deals with the Fairmont, not with the Holiday Inn. So that, that just plays into this. Plus, they're saying, look, um, they got a really good rate. There's there's days the Holiday Inn might actually cost more than the, the Fairmont. Well, maybe, I don't that could be the case. I have no idea. But it's but a again, bit of a false comparison, <coughs> too, because you haven't set up a, a deal with a different exactly. hotel chain. So not necessarily, like, if they were at the Holiday Inn, we wouldn't give it probably a second thought. Um, yeah. That Now, uh, you, you could argue, you know, he, they're arguing as well that he lives in Calgary, doesn't pay, you know, uh, doesn't charge the government for his expenses in Calgary because he lives there. But coming up here, yeah, give him a hotel room, but does he have to stay at the, the Hotel Mac? That's that's just it. Why not stay at a more reasonable hotel? But also... I wonder if they put out an RFP for, like, a request for proposals for hotels. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, the logical thing you would think is that you have a rented, furnished apartment exactly. and that government uses it for who's ever in town. I mean, lots of lots of corporations set that kind of thing up. They have a, you know, a, a suite that people use when they're in town visiting. So... It is true that this is a province that has two centers of power, two economic and political centers, and we expect our politicians and their staff to go back and forth between Edmonton and Calgary on a fairly regular basis. But it's, this is, I mean, $9,000 is a drop in the bucket of that $40 billion budget. I mean, we're not talking about a huge amount of money at all. No. What what we're talking about, what we're talking about are the politics of it. And if they, you know, it might cost 
every bit as much or more to keep a furnished apartment on standby for visiting staffers. But people would understand it better. They, what they have here is not an ethical problem. They have an image problem. And it doesn't help, of course, that they've been trying to uh, advocate for fiscal restraint and are mm-hmm. trying to l- legislate wage deals on 22,000 provincial workers while at the same time we're hearing about all these expenses. That, you know, then you, that argument that there's double standards for the premier's office and that there's this hypocrisy there, you know, ends up, the, the, the volume on that is turned way up as a result. Okay, so I have two hopefully quick questions. Is this any different than what would have uh, Premier Klein or Premier Stelmax staff would have been doing? It is a question of image, again. Ed Stelmack's image was uh, a man of the people, a common guy, a guy that if his neighbor's car broke down and he was on the way to the ledge, he'd stop and fix his neighbor's car. And so whatever money he was spending on his personal detail, nobody blinked at it because he had this image of personal fiscal probity. Redford's problem is that this is the same guy she took to South Africa with her. And people look at her and she has this whole image, which is part of, frankly, what she crafted to get herself elected, of being a sophisticated, urbane, modern person. And people look at that and they say the flip side of that is that she's entitled, that she's elitist, and this is part and parcel of of that negative message. But, but that, that, uh, hold on, they're going to argue as well, the government's going to argue is that they're more open now. It's yeah, that's what I was going to ask. It's hard for us to compare with this, what's happening now with Klein or stomach because we didn't know as much. They are giving us more information now than they did under those previous premiers. So she, they're going to say, look, we are being more open, we're getting hammered because we are being more open, like the sunshine list. Right. So it's going to be a chronic headache for them because we now know what civil servants are getting paid in Alberta. So there's no real upside. In a sense, there's no real upside to them being more open because they will get hammered on this. So they're going to argue, look, we are being more open and you can't compare us to previous administrations because you don't know the information that they had back then because they weren't as open as we are. Right. I and mean, certainly Klein spent way, way more money using that private plane to fly everywhere for the simple reason that he was a, an addicted chain smoker and he wouldn't fly on commercial flights because he couldn't smoke. And, 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 so and we, the journal, spent months trying to dig up the flight logs on that. You know, they, sh- they shut us out. It wants to be public to shut it down. That was Klein shutting us out of the process. So again, you could argue they're being more open now than they were back then. But again, Klein had this whole little guy reputation. And so no matter how what insane amounts of money he spent, it didn't stick to him right. because he was the man of the people. Because you wanted to have a beer with him. Yeah, not me so much. So but yeah, but, but, it, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, Redford, I mean, a lot of the things that people admire about her are the same things that people then turn around and use to, he, to you know, to, to beat her with a stick. I I would prefer a premier who was sophisticated and urbane to a premier who had a hail-buddy, well-met reputation and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars flying around in the private plane so that he could chain smoke. Right. So did we do we have these receipts just because they were, were published as part of the regular uh, yes. uh, information, or did we have to make a freedom of information no, request? No, they were disclosed um, proactively on the uh, province's um, travel and disclosure website. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, that's some, that's a website that I had been checking um, for the last couple of weeks every day because I was waiting for the South Africa receipts to come in, which did, and they didn't deviate from the price that we'd been told about. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, as I was digging through all of that, I ended up finding the hotel receipts. Is our political memory long enough that this will matter two years from now when it's uh, door knocking time on the elections? <laughs> two years from now? Unless, if, if things continue the way they are, it'll be a big issue. If they can manage to get this off the um, 
off the table. If they can put this in the back burner, it won't be an issue, I don't think, two years from now. If they can find a way of killing it now, then it'll be done. If they can show and convince Albertans, in fact, they are being more frugal, uh, we have a very short memory in this province when it comes to this government. Well, in the hopes that uh, we can give you something to think about for a long time, we'll move to our good stuff from the gallery recommendations. So that is our suggestions for something that makes it for good political reading or watching, listening, that is different from what we just talked about. I guess it could be the same too. And I'm going to start because last week and the week before I put a request out for listener recommendations that I would substitute for my own uh, good stuff recommendations just so we can get some more variety. And we got a recommendation from Olav Rokney, who is a great supporter of the show. So I want to thank him for sending this suggestion. So here's what he said. For everyone who has just binge-watched House of Cards and is looking for another Machiavellian political drama, I will never get that word right, I'd like to suggest The Thick of It, a BBC series that has just come out on DVD in North America. He says this series, which follows the political misadventures of the fictional UK Department of Social Affairs, verges so close to real-world politics that the British press named a recent scandal after events in the series. So thank you for that suggestion, Olav. I hadn't heard of it, but it sounds really good, and I have partway uh, finished binge-watching with season two of House of Cards. Um, And I did look it up, and this is in the Edmonton Public Library system, although they're all out, so you'll have to put it on hold. So thanks for that great listener suggestion. Graham, what have you got for good stuff? Uh, Just a second on that. uh, Think of it as an amazing, really good uh, British series. I've I've watched uh, watched it. It's it's really funny. Very, very funny. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, I just... uh, uh, for Christmas, I got a uh, su- subscription to the New Yorker magazine, and this month, there's uh, this week, there is uh, an article on um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's an astrophysicist. He's actually doing a new TV series, Cosmos, like the Carl Sagan series from 30 years ago. He's doing a, a new series on the cosmos, and I raise it because I know it's not really political, but he's a scientist who actually speaks out on science and talks about issues like you know, climate change and. Um, and how um, evolution is actually real, even though half the population in the U.S. thinks that <laughs> evolution is a hoax. And he killed Pluto. That's his big oh, claim right, to that's fame. that's true, yes, as, as a planet, that's right. Um, he, he's, uh, this is a really interesting article about the man. but An also unmuzzled scientist who killed Pluto, sorry. Yes. What a great guy. <laughs> so it's called, it's called uh, Starman, Neil deGrasse Tyson's The New Guide to the Cosmos. And to me, it's important to, have to support scientists like this who actually speak out on science and issues like, um, you know, evolution and climate change and so it, it could be a really interesting uh, series that sounds good i guess your subscription is no canada's history magazine subscription like i got but you know the new yorkers okay Miriam, what have you I got have many magazines <laughs> <to> come. <laughs> um you might remember a few weeks ago i had talked about the uh, al jazeera uh, reporters and producers in egypt who were um had been detained and were facing charges of aiding and abetting a terrorist organization. So that trial uh, began today. So my recommendation is a Al Jazeera inside story. It's a video program. It's about 24 minutes long. It's called Journalism on Trial in Egypt. And it uh, talks about the uh, the correspondent, Peter Gress, and uh, producers, Mohammed Fahmi and Bahar Mohammed. Um, they pleaded not guilty today. Um, and as I said, they had been detained for, for months before the trial started. And it's really been described as a kangaroo court. So uh, uh, as I say, it's a 24-minute program uh, produced by Al Jazeera called Inside Story Journalism on Trial in Egypt. And I'd recommend that. Thanks, Miriam. Paula. I have a really interesting suggestion. This is by an American academic and media analyst named Zeynep Tekevce, and she's a Turkish-American who 
writes a brilliant essay um, in a, a site called Medium.com. It's called, Is the Internet Good or Bad? Yes. And she tells a very personal story about being at a conference in the United States, an academic conference, talking about the way that the Romney and Obama campaigns had used data mining and political marketing. And in the middle of that, she started getting tweets from her homeland in Turkey, where there was a major political protest going on. And she decided, as somebody who had covered the Arab Spring, that she had to leave the academic conference and fly to Turkey and be part of the protest. And what she's written is a combination academic analysis and very personal essay about the way Twitter is a transformational tool for social revolution. And she talks about the fact that, you know, all of our paradigms for talking about this new social media age, whether we're talking about Orwellian 1984 world or an Aldous Huxley Brave New World or a Bentham Panopticon. She says we have to put away our old nightmares and think about the way people actually are using these media forms in the real world, both um, for good and for bad, whether they're corporations or politicians or social revolutionaries. So it's a really, really fascinating piece because she takes you to the front lines of that Turkish uprising. She puts it in that larger social and academic context. And because it's a very recent piece, she brings it back to what's happening right now in Ukraine. So I can't recommend the piece highly enough. Not only is it really intellectually meaty, it's really beautifully, beautifully written. And her name again is Zeynep Tekevce, and the site is medium.com. And I have to say, I found it uh, by reading my friend Matthew Ingram's essay about her essay on Giga Ohm, which is also a very interesting secondary piece. Thanks for those recommendations, everyone. I'm going to sneak in one more quick recommendation. There's a new Edmonton Journal podcast that comes from the folks down at Capital Ideas. They've launched a podcast where they put post the audio of recent Capital Ideas events. So if you found one that you uh, attended and you really loved, you can listen to it again. Or if you didn't get a chance to attend, you can check it out. So just search iTunes under Capital Ideas. In the meantime, if you're looking for previous episodes of the Press Gallery or just want to tell your friends about us, they can find us at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion. All the podcasts are posted there and you can subscribe in iTunes to us and that's how you get it. The most recent updates for your weekly Press Gallery and we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Press Gallery. We'll be back in the Press Gallery next week. Mm